This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, we're recording. Woo! Okay, I don't, I get really excited at the beginning of every show. It's very fun. Okay, welcome to Drinking with Authors. Um, I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is... Mark Muncy from Erie, Florida. How y'all doing? Hey. And then our guest today is Rick Hines. I'm super excited, and I'm going to warn everybody that Mark warned me he was going to do his fangirl thing, so just be prepared for that, everybody who's listening. So let's talk about what we're drinking. So I am drinking 19 Crimes Uprising. I love these. I did finally find the Snoop Dogg bottle from 19 Crimes, by the way. It's a really good red blend. I'm not going to lie. Anyway, I only found two bottles. Mark, what are you drinking for us tonight? Um, as always, because of my epilepsy meds, I'm having Publix purified spring water tonight uh, to, so that it doesn't mix badly with my uh, with the epilepsy meds. But they are kicking in, so this should be a fun show anyway. I, I hear it's got a very refined taste. That uh, it, you know. It's a good week. Yes, it's, 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 it's a good week. Right. <laughs> I'll sniff. I'll sniff the cap. Mm, yeah, good nose. <laughs> Uh, Rick, what are you drinking? So I, I, don't th- I, get, I think that's vodka, by the way, this bullshit Publix water stuff. He's like, <laughs> I can't drink it. It's the fine taste of, uh, you know, uh, it's, it, it's aged in a fluoride barrel, right? Uh, <laughs> um, no, I'm drinking uh, Misbehaving Meads, uh, the vanilla blue bourbon barrel aged uh, honey mead. Um, well, that sounds amazing. Uh it, it 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 is it is it is quite. I'm a mead fan, so this is delicious. And... I am. So I have a birthday tradition. Is every year um, for my birthday, I started doing this because it, when I tell the whole story, you'll understand why. Is I go to Ren Fair, and I go um, and I invite all of my friends because then you don't actually have to hang out with people for the whole time. Like you can see them and you can have some fun and like you see the mud checks or whatever, but washing well winches but you don't have to be like in a confined space with people for hours like you go and they have um these things they're called bee stings which is half mead half cider i know exactly what you're talking about it's like the death because i go from bar to bar drinking these things um it is the best thing ever. <laughs> I, I I have my Renfair horn somewhere with the ridiculously expensive outfit that I bought when I was younger at Renfair, so I could be all floppy with my like giant hat and stuff. Yeah. But um, no meads. Uh, this thing, this bourbon aged blueberry mead, is freaking criminally good. Uh, so it is a special occasion uh, beverage that I have recently found has become an every week beverage as well. Since well, you know, I'm stuck at home special occasion, right? <laughs> every, every weekend I get done with work and Friday. It's like, yeah, no. Okay. This, this, the, the worst part was I used to have to order it specialty to, to get here. Um, cause I had it at a crazy hipster bar in Chicago once. And I was like, I, I spent forever trying to track this thing down. And then there's this small indie brewery company that opened up a like a shop, like six doors down from my apartment in in where I live. So now I just walk out, walk down six doors, and and can pick up a bottle. That ease of access has not been good for me. 
I feel that way. Like I'm a huge In-N-Out Burger fan, and I already yep. know if there was an In-N-Out Burger anywhere near where I lived, it would it would be fucking terrible. Uh, like, it would be the worst thing in the world. That's that's I, if they opened a Popeye's chicken near me, it would you know the chicken would become an endangered species immediately. It would just <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, you're like, look how cool I can walk to this thing. And then a few, you know, million pounds and drunk out. And since later, you're like, this is not so cool. What? <laughs> Why do you have to enable me? Clearly, the yes, story, you should know clearly. that uh, when my special occasions in life are happening and you should only carry this on to those days. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what you write. Rick, tell the audience what you write. So I am in a few different spaces. Uh, my primary uh, job as a writer is to write sarcastic urban fantasy about the end of the world. My novel series is called The Seventh Age Dawn. Uh, and it is a, the, the pitch of my series is the Illuminati, the Masons, and other secret societies. They've had magic for centuries. And what happens in Chicago when a group of anarchists decide to level the playing field by giving that shit to everybody in the world? Special abilities can be yours. You can uh, cure yourself of cancer or throw fireballs down Lower Wecker Drive. All you have to do is summon a demon, kill it, and eat its heart. Oh, that's and, all. That's right. all you have to do. That's all you have to do. And nothing can possibly go wrong when the entire world starts attempting this. Uh, so it is a um, sarcastic urban fantasy about the end of the world. And my sequel, uh, Dystopia, which is coming out next year, is uh, about what happens when magic has returned and now companies uh, are branding it. You know, uh, imagine like Starbucks grinding up actual unicorns uh, and selling you those lattes for, you know, several thousand dollars. Didn't they do that? I thought, that, I literally thought that's what <laughs> right, they well, Look, I didn't really have to stretch too far <laughs> no. in, in, in some of this. But uh, so my primary space is is that as an urban fantasy uh, author in, in Chicago. Okay. The other thing that I do uh, pretty significantly now is I'm a game writer for tabletop uh, RPGs uh, like Dungeons and Dragons, uh, White Wolf, a few other game companies. And I just released this uh, project called The Red Opera, Last Days of the Warlock, which is this massive um, undertaking where we worked with the Budapest Scoring Symphonic Orchestra, the Heavy Metal Hall of Fame, and uh, this band, Dia Morte, where we took their uh, album and I composed a full 10-act playable campaign uh, based off of that. And we just got done with our Kickstarter and absolutely crushed it out of the park. So it was... Well, you're talking to somebody who used to color in the dice from the box set with crayons, if that's going to put an age on me. I can do that because Mark's in the same age group as me. Yes, yes. I've got my... Uh... <laughs> My crown royal bag full of ancient. Oh my god! Right here. Yes. So yes. Crown royal. Um, that yeah, is grew... a sign of an old gamer, right yes. there. Uh, I I remember the the crown royal dice bags. Um, yes. But yeah, no. But, so I yeah, I, I helped kickstart Red Opera. I was oh, I'm excited sweet. to see the project. So. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, no, it was. And then um, the fanboying begins. I'm, I'm keeping it. I'll keep it to a minimum. It, that, arms that crossed. Pro so. <laughs> that that project. Um, is is so awesome and since the kickstarter ended in september um you know i have a bunch of stretch goals to write so i just quickly got to the keyboard i got to have a really fun thought exercise with this one stretch goal of like what's the difference between a god and a patron and like how does that work and uh, uh the, like but the writing for that 
And that project with the music and the heavy metal was such an interesting uh, combination because it involved uh, Apotheosis Studios and all their major art groups. Like writing a novel is one thing. You sit around, you write your novel, and and you have a team of editors and copy editors and everybody else around you. But that is RPG, really generous of you to say that. But like the unicorn latte you just mentioned, everyone got one. Yes. <laughs> Listen, uh, copy editors are the freaking lifeblood, right? I can come up with some crazy plot ideas and things like that, but I will shit you not. The elements of style and the Chicago manual style might as well be arcane spellcasting, uh, you know, tomes. Uh, oh my God, me. yes. Uh, and I just do not have the mental capacity to, to, it's just not there. I just can't, like, I'm like, this is, this is Greek to me, right? Um, but uh, having a full team of people to collaborate from musicians to artists to layout designers, uh, you know, uh, to like coordinating printing, the, the scope of an RPG project was mind blowing. And it was really awesome to be the lead designer. And we went and I pitched it and I, I'd, or we'd already written everything before we went to the studio. And so like the project was done, we had already written all the text and uh, everybody saw it and it hit great. Now we're going to do like, six seven more books i i have uh, other books about teaching people how to become storytellers and then i'm still going to be writing my novel series on the side as we know nano remo is coming up and so oh yeah oh yeah i'm getting i'm getting lots of bottles of wine geared up for that because yeah. i'm required <laughs> to do a sequel this year with my co-writer so so i i will be polishing off the rest of my sequel and cramming fifty thousand words of book three uh in that uh nice. in that space but um, those are my two things. Obviously, I do a bunch of like blog writing and game reviews and things like that. I write for Geek and Sundry, Nerdist. Um, you know, I'll cover like various things in the geek space uh, that are out there. Like, you know, here's all this crazy like lore about Final Fantasy, or I'm currently writing up articles on like, you know, the history of Tevia and a new game called Genshin Impact, which I secretly got kind of addicted to. Um, you know, so I'll do that stuff in the sort of like blog, freelance writing, you know, sort of, you know. I'm playing the new um, Baldur's Gate. So I was super excited to see this because I really missed the Gauntlet series and Baldur's Gate because I feel like a lot of Divinity was okay. I'm totally, anyway. Um, I thought Divinity was okay, but I'm playing the new Baldur's Gate. Love the bugs. Just loving them so much. I uh, I, I haven't played Baldur's Gate 3 yet. I have, It is on my list. I'm waiting that is my end of November. I am done with NaNoWriMo. Yes. I want to die and ignore the world, curl up under a blanket burrito, and press the X button sideways on my couch. Um, because <laughs> okay, that's what so get too. Tip, fun tip, do not let anyone kill your familiar. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good rule anyway. <laughs> no, I know. But if you do in this game, every time you resummon them, they're in aggro. <laughs> oh, no. Nice. That's fun bug. Fun bug. Maybe they'll fix it by the time you do it, but I just wouldn't chance it. Why would you? Currently, I have a character that cannot summon their familiar because, well. Well, there'll be an attack familiar. Yes. <laughs> to you, by the way, it aggros oh. to you as well. Yeah, it's, it's it's pissed. Like, how could you let this happen to me? Uh, exactly. It's no, no, betrayed. I, okay. Uh, okay, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You I, I was going to say, huh? I, um, 
uh, I run this, uh, my, my next project, right. And the, the next, like one of the big things I'm working on is this book called the storytellers forge, which teaches kids and other people how to be dungeon masters and storytellers by providing them with a story beat campaign. And we've been running, I've been writing this in the background for three years now. And it started off as a store program with a, a local store in Downers Grove where I had like six, six kids sitting down at a table playing. And it was because Adventurers League had failed us. And we sat down, and I started running just for them. And now I have 200 kids signed up in this program where I've hired other GMs to just start running other kids through this narrative adventure that we had, uh, that I had written. One of the things that happened is that my current kids group uh, just today, actually, before uh, I came out of this podcast, their familiar had indeed died, and they are that dedicated to their familiar that they decided to cast plane shift and descend into the bowels of hell itself to actually go retrieve the soul of their weasel um, that had gone down. And I just want to point out that whatever the weasel had done was so bad that it's in a level of hell. <laughs> okay, so I just want to, it's not like it was just resting on a fucking cloud or something like that. No, no. Heaven, it is in one of the nine levels of hell sitting next to Tiamat going, what's up? Yeah, this 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 weevil is an embodiment of pandemonium and chaos because that weasel, every time I have boss fights, either critically hits or critically botches. And there is no in-between on this weasel. But this program, like when you, the kids get done with it after they play for like two years, they've built their own campaign world and then they go off and start running and being their own storytellers. And so you are basically effectively legally cloning. That's what yes. you're talking about. <laughs> yes, I'm trying to make other storytellers to bring, uh, I'm, I'm cloning DMs because there's not enough of us. I agree and a lot of the DMs that do exist are Kind of like the ones in Robert Bevan's uh, Critical Failures. Uh, Have you read that? Uh, yes. Uh, I, 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 it, it was partly an inspiration for this, uh, this panel that I do called How to Not Suck at Storytelling um, <laughs> at, at cons, where I invite storytellers to come on and tell about their worst fuck-ups that they've ever actually made. Um, and then we moderate through it of like, what did we learn from this? And this is why you don't do that, guys. Um, so what was yours? Mine? Okay, I'll give you the one that I close out the panel with. You can do that. And I'm going to make Mark tell his and I'll tell mine. That's All what right. we're doing. Now. Sounds good. The, um, oh God, there's an adult one and there's the kid ones. But the kid one is the one I close out the panel with. So I know that's the better one. So this program, I've been running this, this store program for about a year. I have 200 kids in this program. And throughout the story, the characters find this uh, brass dragon, Boltius, uh, who's like a bard. He's their mentor. They build their village. They go around. They recruit cooks and chefs. They build their own city and their campaign. And the kids got you know, invested. And it's, it's a multi-store program. So you have 200 kids signing up every week you know, running through the sessions and I'm curating this content and all of it is dedicated to every act is secretly telling the kids, here's how you become a storyteller. Here's how you prep an encounter, but through play. Well, at the end of it, the arch rival is this dragon named Gorsnouch and he shows up to the kid's town and, you know, he starts casting meteor swarms and he's like destroying their, their hard earned work. And he's got his like minions and generals. And he walks up to this brass dragon Boltius and they start fighting. And the kids are like trying to fight and kill his minions and stuff like that while the dragons are battling in the middle of town. And at some point in the battle, 
the brass uh, Boltius gets his head ripped off. And I'm like in the middle of the store and I describe like Gorse not just like ripping the head off this, you know, dragon, uh, you know, casting Boltius down to the side, the steamy blood on the ground. The store gets quiet. Every kid in the store stops like chit-chatting. Nobody's on their phone anymore. One kid named Charlie decides to put down his phone. And he starts playing like Undertale's like Megalovania. Everybody in the store is focused. They are going to kill this goddamn blue dragon, right? They are ready to decimate this arch villain. That was like the pivotal moment to get them immersed. The kids had their battle. They were, you know, ultimately successful. And, you know, they saved the village. Now they are in charge of the village. They are the village leaders. Uh, the campaign comes to an end and everybody goes home. All the kids are really excited. They're talking about their great deeds. And about four hours later, I hear a strange noise coming from a bedroom. And it's my kid crying in the bedroom. And I'm like, oh no, what, what happened? Like, did something go wrong? And I go and I, I, I talk to my son and I'm like, Trent, is, it, is everything okay? And he, he, he's just sobbing. He's just really, really sad. And he won't tell me why. And he's like, I won't tell you. I don't want to talk about it. It'll make you mad, which instantly as a parent sets off like alarm bells that, you know, I have done something wrong. Yep. And he said he will only text it to me. And so I gave him some space and like, I went back outside the room and I waited and he texted me. He texted me one name, Boltius. He was sad that Boltius had died and those emotions had caught up to him uh, eight hours or like six hours later um, over the things. And I had to like show him that like the epilogue session, which was next week, showed that like they had a scroll to resurrection. The next campaign would be them going out into the world and getting a chance to do some stuff like that. But like I really had to like talk him down. I get phone calls from the store the next day where it turns out about 80 kids had like broken down in tears after the store event and the conclusion. You are literally the worst. Uh, <laughs> um, and I was like, what the fuck? I'm happy that I've got the kids that immersed and that they loved the character that much. And if anything, it taught them better metal. Like this is, this is a real thing. But my mistake there was I should have ended the session with them finding, uh, 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 a dragon egg or a personal, like, like, like them going to Boltius's house and finding like mementos that Boltius had of the characters. So the next time I tried that and it turns out that the other half of kids found that even more sad. Um, and I was like, all right, I can't win. You're going to have to cry. Um, but the lesson there was basically make sure you have a bleed session, a come down. If you run a high intense session, especially with kids who are, have a lot of emotions, um, bottled up, you need to basically talk about the resolution and, and some of the powerful moments and have a come out session. Um, and so that was, that was my biggest, uh, that's how I leave the panel about talking about like player aftercare. I have another one where I was almost lynched by about 600 LARPers in a vampire game because I did a dream sequence and I'll never run dream sequences again, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> I have a horrible LARPer vampire story that involves us being removed from a hotel forever. Nice. From ever being back in that hotel. But that's not even my worst story. Mark, <laughs> what is your, besides Rick apparently being literally the worst, what is your story, Mark? Uh, Mine uh, is another uh, role-playing incident, and it goes way back to an early uh, Gen Con. And uh, we were with uh, the late, great Richard Tucholka, who had created the Bureau 13 role-playing game. 
and yeah. I was working with him on it and we were working on some future modules and we'd come up with this idea. It was at the time uh, where um, I, I think Disney had just announced its cruise line and, and Universal announced they were building the Universal Orlando. So that'll put the time frame in. Okay, well, way to date all of us there, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Universal was not always here. Harry Potter has was not always in Orlando. This story transpires. Go ahead. Yeah, for those of us who can remember that time. Uh, anyway, we came up with this idea that um, Disney was going to these islands with their crews, and we figured Universal had hired in the Bureau Thirteen world. It's very much similar to you know your. Uh, your books, Rick, where it's a world where magic and everything exists. Bureau 13 is basically X-Files with heavy artillery to keep mm. the things in check. A very Delta and, Greenish. Um, yeah, exactly. And um, and so they were, um, this was a team was sent because the crews, uh, the, the test crews had disappeared. And the whole plot was that Universal had hired uh, mages to turn one of the islands into uh, a real Jurassic Park and summon uh, Jurassic uh, time, you know, altered time. So the island was really dinosaurs and all this stuff. And so the team gets on the island and all this weird stuff's going down. And as I'm telling the story, I see these this crowd just starts gathering around it as we're doing the module. And we were like, man, we we're only supposed to have 10 people at this event. Why are all these people here suddenly? And Rich is just loving it because he's writing down notes because he's wanting to make this into an actual module for the game. And, um, and we were just play testing it. And I start going off script because some of the weird things were going on. And of course, as you do players being players, they came up with some really amazing options. So the big thing is they get to the castle at the end. It's supposed to be the Disney castle and it's this big now demonic fortress. And, uh, and, and they get to the moat and the plesiosaur comes up and it's a giant plesiosaur. And uh, and they don't know how to kill it. They're trying to figure out how to kill this thing. And they, uh, you know, they don't have anything that big with their heavy artillery at this point. They finally, what, what happens is one of the players was vampiric. And he came up with a brilliant solution. He sees that giant neck of a plesiosaur and decides to attack the plesiosaur with vampirism and try to bite it. And he... And then, so we made it. I was like, all right, we'll give him that. You know, that was a crazy solution. And, and he rolled really well. So, of course, we did it. And then he gets the brilliant idea of turning making it, a, of turning it and turning it into a vampire. And so now I'm like trying to figure out, okay, can a vampire plesiosaur exist? And suddenly in my head, I get this brilliant idea that, yes, there is a vampire plesiosaur because there's a plesiosaur in our world that has never died. And people see it all the time. What if it's a vampire? And I'm like, are we talking about Loch Ness? I swear yes, to God. I decided that when at the end of the mission, when the dinosaur, <laughs> when they won and all the timeline got restored, that dinosaur went back in time and is now Nessie. And it was this brilliant thing and it was funny and the crowd loved it, was roaring by the end of the story. And Rich uh, looks over at me and goes, Oh my gosh, that was incredible. And, and he's like, uh, you know, great on the fly. We're putting that in the module. We're doing all this. And I'm changing the whole timeline when we re-release the D20 of Bureau 13. And I'm making it so that the reason the the dinosaurs went extinct is they all got turned by Nessie. And that's why they all dissolved and became bones and dust. 
And I'm like, oh, well, the asteroid probably helped too. Uh, but they weren't smart enough to get out of the sun. But because he's a first generation, he was smart enough to get out of the sun. So it's all this crazy literature goes into this and we start working on it. And I'm still trying to figure out why was this crowd here? And what happened was apparently we were booked in the room that uh, Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson were supposed to have their last game together. And, um, and somehow they thought I was Gary Gygax and Rich was Dave Arneson. And we were playing this weird science fantasy game. And it was, oh, not having social media and knowing what people look like. Look like. So your, 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 your lesson that you walked away from was make sure that your table knows who you are. Who you are. <laughs> exactly. Because what happened was, is that that next day, articles are coming out about Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson writing some science fiction fantasy role-playing game. And then uh, I'm getting all these emails. Do you know anything about this? And I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, that, uh, that might've been a mistake. And that's just, you know, this is why cons work a lot better now that we have social media and internet and apps. But that's my message is, you know, when you're telling a great story and you're getting into it and the crowd's loving it, make sure the crowd knows who the heck you are because I got no credit for that. <laughs> wow. Wow. Mine is not nearly as spectacular as your guys's. I, I mean, we did get kicked out of a hotel in the Tampa Bay area because we were doing a live LARP for everybody out there that has no fucking clue what we're talking about is live action role playing. So you actually play this character in re for realsies. And so some people for Necronomicon, which they didn't have this year. I don't, is Necronomicon still a thing here in Tampa? They did it virtual this year. Okay. Lame. So yeah. Necronomicon had a con and we played vampire, the masquerade, which is a role playing game. Right. So some of us were vampires. Anyway, I'm not going to even get into the long description because everybody on this podcast is like, what the fuck are they talking about? Listen, we're a bunch of nerds who, when we were younger, decided to hang out by river walks in trench coats and play rock, paper, scissors with each other to try yes. to play a game of Byzantine politics uh, <laughs> and self-importantize our, ourselves, uh, you know, uh, around the idea that we were these immortal clan of vampires. And really what it came down to was the people that brought their most friends to the LARP had the most power, surprisingly. Well, and it's funny. So we went to do this live action role playing game, which I was a part of, and I was a vampire. But there was a girl and she had a quarter staff. Mark, I'm surprised if you haven't heard this story. But I think I have. <laughs> we're in the fucking lobby and she comes screaming through the lobby with this quarter staff spinning above her head. And all of us who were trying to play our characters, you know, we're brooding vampires, like, don't look at us, right? Are like, what the fuck just happened? Because she's screaming, running with the quarterstaff. Guests are, like, diving down. She is so into this character. And the hotel concierge walks up and is like, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Now, the funny part of this story, really, the main funny part was... When you're trying to go up to people who are live action role playing and go, we have to leave like the hotel. They, they think, think that, you're, like, you're trying to kill them. them. They think they're trying to, you're trying to kill their character. You're, yes. you're, exactly. you're, taking, you're taking them out to death alley to shank and diabolize them. <laughs> that's sweet to experience. 
Exactly. So I'm, we're like sitting there going, how the fuck do we do this? Like, how do we get, maybe if we just don't show up where we're supposed to be, people will be like, where did everybody go? Like we had to come up with all these really clever ways to not have this continue. Cause the hotel was so fucking pissed off at us oh. for what, what this person did. She was amazing by the way, that it was like, Cool story, but it's funny. A bunch of gamers sitting around going, "How do we convince a bunch of gamers that we're not in the game anymore? That we're live action role playing?" So, if only we knew AOOC back then. <laughs> so, so what was really funny is I played off that when I was a storyteller up here in uh, Chicago. Um, I had about uh, three hundred players in a LARP that I was running for Vampire the Masquerade. Same thing. You know, we're all out there being a bunch of nerds in our twenties. Uh, you know, around this uh, open area Riverwalk type area. There's a nice river. There's a bunch of different businesses. Primogen would have their meetings and steakhouses over glasses of wine. And, you know, the prince had, you know, the, the upper floor of this bookstore. And we coordinated with all the local businesses and police. And so we had this big little sprawl. And my players had started getting more and more elaborate with their costumes and their dress and things like this. And you're supposed to, in this game, blend into mortal society, right? You're not supposed to let people know, but it basically turned into what we do in the shadows, where they're walking around like, you know, <laughs> they are like these completely <laughs> archaic vampire elders and, and whatnot. But and so my mom really wanted to play. And I was like, all right, mom, you can come play here's what you're going to do. You're going to show up and you and all your friends are going to give these little gift boxes that I made to anybody who you think is a vampire player in this game. And you open up the gift box. There was three chocolates in there and a, an, uh, an assigned storyteller index card that says, boom, take uh, eight ag. Your character is dead. You've been killed by hunters. And um, so my mom and her girlfriends walked around drunk off wine and basically found anybody on the Riverwalk that they thought was a vampire player and they killed them. I lost half my player base that night um, for them not keeping the masquerade. My mom had no idea who any of the people were. Um, she just <laughs> went around and found anybody who stood out, like a bunch of suburban moms just went around and did this. But what was really funny is that there was a, a hangout were a bunch of goth kids that weren't playing the game just kind of like listened to music and did some stuff we were walking by at the end of the game and i saw that they had like 60 packages <laughs> uh, and uh they didn't know anything about it or they didn't know why but my mom and her friends all thought that the, that entire goth kids were were all playing i'm like well the news report in the game the next day was local hunter militia not only murders 80 people but wrecks havoc in this 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 area <laughs> can play i love as a storyteller playing with out of game uh in-game immersion uh i will do i i've run a lot of dread which is like the jenga tower system for horror immersion at, at the tables i like experimental gming where i'll have like the pizza delivery guy show up in the middle of a DD session and offer a quest to whoever answers the door um i will actually arrange these things i think that they add an element of fun and memorability especially to one shot or special game sessions so that kind of stuff is always uh if you're sitting at my table um that, that, that's always a possibility. Oh my God. Okay. So we have to take a quick break, but I'm going to game with you at some point, And so is Mark, because we have no choice at this moment. So we will be right back with Drinking with Authors. This is the voice of Drinking with Authors. You are at our commercial break. And our commercial is Hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? 
that would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Okay, we're back. We're back. Okay, so Rick, um, I feel like we should be best friends and we should nerd out forever, but let's talk a little bit. About, I mean, literally, I want to game with you right now. I did get my Critical Failures dice box set along with my bags and bags of dice. Oh, I don't you, do, you do dice shaming as well? When one of my dice messes up, they go into dice jail? Yep. Uh, I have a yes. special... I have a, a special box for all my dice that have committed critical was, sins against me. Was, was that Knights I of the Dinner Table, I think, started that back way back in the 80s? Uh, uh, the great Jolly Blackburn came up with that for his old Knights of the Dinner Table script. And now everybody does it. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say that one of the really fun things um, about dice shame, I have a friend. His name is Carlos, so I'm going to mention him. So we were playing Wheel of Time. And then we're actually going to talk about writing. And he um, had a heron blade. And if you know Wheel of Time, this is an unbreakable sword. He critical, uh, failured, one, rolled a one, three times in a row. The DM kept having him roll because they're like, well, you can't break this sword. But he rolled a one three times in a row and he broke the unbreakable heron blade. So... That is a tragedy, especially considering that I am one of the biggest. I'm actually rereading The Wheel of Time right now. Um, awesome. Um, uh, the Wheel of Time actually scarred me uh, for life um, because here I am, a young teenager uh, in, in my room listening to metal albums and just immersing myself in the world, even if I'm laughing at how much naive like tugs at her freaking braid every you know chapter that she's in. But... Um, when Matt Cawthon, uh, oh crap. All right. You know what? I don't care. Uh, if you're listening to this, um, spoiler 20 year old spoiler, it's allowed. 20 year old spoilers. It's allowed, right? We're past that threshold. Uh, there's a book nine. He, he dies, uh, dies in quotation marks. Uh, and you don't know what happens to him. He's a character blessed with luck. And I'm like, no, he's my favorite character. He can't die. And then no more books come out. And, you know, it was because Robert Jordan uh, passed and, you know, like there was like another book that had come out like after there's just a big long delay. And that fandom that I had uh, made it so that I swore I will not read book series unless they are finished, which is a problem I find out if you ever become a late author later in life and you have a two or three year delay between your novels coming out. Because I have times I'm like, shit, I got to get my next book out because I wouldn't read my own book series because it's not done yet. <laughs> like, you know, like I got to finish, right? I have to finish. It yeah. is a critical thing because like this is such a The reason I refuse to read Game of Thrones to this day is because it is a non-finished book series. Well, how about this? I, I realized that and who knows when he's going to finish, but I found out something about George R. R. Martin on the podcast with Linda Snodgrass that fucking blew my mind. He is a pantser. Yep. 100% a pantser. Yep. Like, doesn't write anything down. And if you read those books, what the fuck? Like, seriously, how could he be a I'm a pantser. I can't plot. No matter what I try, even, I, like, if I brought my little pad in here, I have a pad that has very sketchy notes in it, but in no sequential order and no, like, 
this is what we're following. I am a pantser to the core because I just start writing and I'm like, fuck this. And I'm going to move on. I, I, I have so many intricate ties to this, to that, to this relationship, to this family. I literally thought he had a fucking post-it board in no, the background. I, I, I thought he had the, the, the gamer conspiracy board. Yeah, no. yeah exactly. With the whole strings. No. And the- yeah. <laughs> no, he has nothing. He's just like, oh, this is what I feel like today. Yeah. Mind blown. I was, it, anyway. So let's talk a little bit about your series. So you won't read a series that's not finished. So let me ask you this question. How many books do you intend on putting in your series? Um, uh, I originally intended five, it might be four. Um, and that's because I realized like looking at it, uh, one of my characters and, and, and since you guys are other writers, you can relate to this moment of insanity. I'm in the middle of writing my sequel and one of my characters in the middle of a writing session one night, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the zone. I'm, I'm, I'm having this really freaking awesome scene. And one of my characters decides to kill himself. And I was like, you motherfucker, you can't do that. Um, I'm god i'm the writer you can't just go kill yourself and my character like in my own brain looked at me and goes no fuck you man i'm dying here and i was like pissed um because that did revise some of my outlines but it did make sense right and it was awesome that it happened but um so i'm intending to do uh uh at, at least three um most five i already know where the book series ends i already know the final scene of the entire book scene series and i have like one or two like standalone book ideas that i really want to like actually write because they just sound fun because i i think when i wrote my sequel um which is about it's like it, it, it's today, except the apocalypse has kind of happened. Civil order is, 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 is gone. Governments are trying to fight and corporations are kind of like, you know, rising up in, in, you know, super economic power. It's kind of going almost Shadowrun, but more magic. I was going to say uh, that it sounds like Shadowrun, but uh, I didn't want to say that. Uh, yeah, no, it's, no it, very it, much. It, it, it does have that comparison and in, in that it's, it's more shadow, more magic instead of uh, hypertech. And uh, you know, it's it's about the profitization and the mining of the magical commodities, uh, and then the you know the, they're ignoring regulations. That's the way that people can survive when the sun is black. The world has changed. Magic is returning. What happens in today's society of power, uh, even politically, was to dynamically shift to everybody in the world. Right when the when the military is basically ineffective against a sorcerer who can now summon massive hurricanes and you know wipe out uh, an entire battalion. So things have the, the the landscape of the world has changed, and I fell in love with that setting so much. I actually want to go back to that one time period in the book because each book takes place in a different city. Um, and there's a bit of a, a time gap between each one because I wanted to show how multiple cities and different characters all react to different events of the same cataclysm. And okay, so I have a question though. This is yes. a question that plagues, I think, authors in general. Uh, is this so? If you, in your mind, as an author, you go, "I'm going to make this a three book, four book, five book, whatever." I I have a fucking end. They're going to get there and the world's going to explode or whatever. And we're going to get there. And that's the end. And then your fans go, Hey Rick. So fun story. We want more. Ah, RPG world. But <laughs> what about your reader fans? Cause RPG absolutely for us nerds, we are going to play a game together at some point yeah. after COVID's over. But 
when you have the fans that are like, hey, I want more, I want more, because I've talked to some authors that have this problem where they, in their mind, they go, this is a three-book series or this is a four-book series, and then all of a sudden the fans are like, hey, we want more, we want more. Do you think you can hold your own integrity to go, no, or are you going to go, okay, cool, fine, I will write about this more? Oh, I would not even, it wouldn't even be a, oh, okay, cool, fine, I'll write about this before. It'd be like, fuck yes, I have like 30 more plot lines that I could in theory write after <laughs> uh, the end. Because I grew up reading a lot of uh, science fiction, 70s classic sci-fi and, and things like that. And I loved those endings that opened up the world after a series of events had happened. And then I have so many extra uh, plot threads. Um, and it's in part because I kind of uh, cheated as a writer in that I have secretly been running a tabletop game uh, set 250 years after uh, my novel series is done. Since I already have my outline all written and done, um, I have been running various tabletop groups through what would you do in this world setting? Here is this 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 area. What what would you do? And my tabletop group are filled with amazing creative people. They're all other writers. They all will take like these crazy ideas and these plot threads and like run with them and, and whatnot. But there's one story I really want to tell, which is uh, about a young girl working for a Walmart-esque corporation uh, whose job it is is to summon, uh, you know, demons up from, you know, from, from hell and purgatory. And then they, she sips them off to a mining and she summons up like one demon who like is actually self-aware and isn't just like an imp. And he's like smoking a cigarette. He's like, what the fuck did I do to get here? Oh shit, they're going to mind me. And like the two of them like run away and they spend their time like chased, uh, you know, from, from this, this corporation. Um, but I mean, I have a lot of fun in the setting. I could probably write uh, in the sandbox uh, until, you know, I'm, I'm dead. I, it is so, um, there's so much conspiracy in the books. It's a it's a political heavy. It's urban fantasy without romance. I will say that uh, I you know the way I looked at it was it's the end of the fucking world. Nobody's got time for that shit. Um, and so, uh, so like shit's getting real. Like demons are crawling out of shadows. Somebody stole your fucking taco. Um, like a like a like a little imp actually like ran off and you know with your stuff. But shit's going down. And so this. The, these these events are happening and I have like plot lines about like what's happening in like the president's office, uh, what's happening to other countries, you know, and I have all of these different plot threads that I could grab, which aren't the focus of my novel um, because I have an expanded uh, world already built. And that that is only because my ass has been cursed to be the storyteller for 20 years. Right, I am the proverbial dungeon master of my friends' groups, so I naturally have these worlds that I've built. And for the novels, I was like, ah, I'm going to do this one thing here. So I have a question. You know, it's interesting because I talked to, and I didn't, I didn't know this, and I'm going back to this only because um, Melinda Snodgrass and George R. R. Martin have written the Ring something series, and I'm had way too much wine to actually remember the name of it right now but it's not a reflection on you guys i'm just drunk 
but do you feel like you would let anybody else into your world to write about your world? Yes. Uh, If somebody, okay, so this happened to me. Take note, Mark. uh, uh, This happened to me. I would, (laughs) I had run, uh, uh, so my book series is called The Seventh Age series, right? And I had been running a LARP, a homebrew custom live action LARP called uh, The Seventh Age. And it was actually set in there where we had a bunch of people. There were years, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years later for Magic had come back. And it was like a completely different homebrew setting. But it would, we would run them for 10 weeks, full immersion in a place that we'd rent out in uh, like the middle of nowhere, Indiana, where we could rent out a mansion for like nothing. And we would run this game there uh, once a year. And we had like VR setups, we had music, we had bands, we had meads. We we went full out with immersion in this, this, this game, this LARP. And my book series comes out, right? My first book gets out. I go to Midwinter Gaming Con and I launch my book and I'm like, I'm gonna go to my con, I'm gonna go to, go to my peoples, I'm gonna go to the nerds, right? And I'm gonna do my book launch there. And I, you know, I start selling my novel. I won the contest. Uh, you know, I think things are on the up and up for me, even though like I had some publisher, uh, you know, some publisher drama and behind the scenes, I was still really excited just to write and bring the book out. Yeah. So I go to Emerald City Comic Con uh, a year later and I'm at Emerald City Comic Con and somebody walks up to my booth and says, oh, I didn't know that somebody had written wrote in a novel about the RPG game and we're in Seattle. And I'm like, hmm? eyebrow raise, what is this? And they're like, oh yeah, we're the, the LARP is running tonight. Why don't you come uh, you know, to this LARP? And I'm like, okay, wait a minute, hold on. You're telling me that there is a seventh age LARP uh, that is here uh, in Seattle at Emerald City Comic Con. And they're like, yeah, yeah, the, the guy's been running it for like, you know, the past eight months, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, okay. And, and I was like, well, I'm like, are you, tell, me, tell me about this LARP, right? And he describes my world back to me. Um, a little bit, little bit off, <laughs> right? But he describes my world back to me. And I'm like, right. Um, well, I have, I have, can, can, can you bring your storyteller by later on? And later on, eventually he comes by with the, the con with that, that storyteller and the storyteller sees me and there's a look of like terror in his eyes. And at the same time, he's also like, dude, I played in that LARP that you ran out in Indiana, Jason Pierce, he invited me. And I was like, he's like, I'm like, can I play my, he's like, do you want to play your, your, your villain in, in your book? We would love to have you play this uh, character uh, that you we would love with. to have you play the villain from your book in your but, series. Yeah. And a LARP. And I was like, no dude, if I'm going to go to a LARP, I want to show up as like, you know, a scrub on the street. Like, I just want to go see this. And they had taken my world and they'd gone in a different direction with it. They, they put their own storyteller spin on it. Um, but I thought it was fun. Uh, it was super flattering. I fucking loved all of it. Uh, I thought it was wicked cool. Um, so how many people recognize you though? N- uh, none because it was in a, like he had come out to Indiana and Chicagoland area and played in that game and then came back to, uh, Seattle and where they were bored of the basic vampire games and had taken, uh, this like post-apocalyptic Gehenna spin. This uh, is like... A level of ultimate fandom that's fucking yep. amazing. That's, like, so I I have um, no problems if somebody else. I mean, just 
like is I, I I have brand control and I have the ability to look at somebody's work and edit with them and work with them. Um, and, and really like writing books like the red opera or working in collaboration with other writers, um, on, on joint projects, you kind of like get rid of that ego, I suppose. And that like ability to Mark, you can write a book with him. I hope you're taking notes on this. I already did. I already, I've already sent the email. Uh, I got the like, bitch. Uh, you can, you can, you can collaborate with people that you get along with. Like I, I mean, obviously Patrick Edwards who helped with the red, red opera, him and I just, you know, in the same sandbox encounters, we, we click, right? So as long as I click with somebody um, and they want to tell a thing, have at it. Now, would I let somebody go write my third book? Hell no. Um, I will let no, somebody write sense. a book. I, I'm just wondering because you know, as a writer, you create this world, depending on what kind of writer you are. I kill everybody, so nobody fucking survives in my world. But um, you create this world, you create this thing, and having and letting people into this world, I think, is a really good commentary because, you know, there are worlds where people have let other authors in to expand their world. I mean, a lot of times it's referred to as canon, but they can expand it i think it's fantastic when you're able to do that because as a writer sometimes it's hard to let your precious my precious you know go and let other people actually touch it and play with it and expand upon it i think it takes uh, a really um person a really strong person as i drink a lot of wine comfortable with themselves to allow that i love you mark for my yeah. laughing at me hearing that um it wasn't smart it wasn't a laugh Okay, is um, to let somebody into your world to do that. And I think it takes somebody who's played in role-playing games and has had that collaborative effort to go, it's okay, this is my universe. I am going to watch that you don't break something in my universe that, you know, but I'm going to let you play in my universe. Yeah, I uh, I 100% would do that. And I think that there's a lot of merit uh, for that, especially if you're uh, like, I make no bones about it. I'm a new author, right? Like I, I have, you know, I have written, you know, I say I'm a new author and it's like last year I published like 250,000 words of content. Um, and I okay, know that, but so that's like one that's year. That's not a new author. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like it, right? I don't feel like somebody who has been doing this forever, right? I, 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 I know I've been writing for five years. Right. I know that I have been a published author for, for that, that amount of time. I've been working and published. I get paid for my writing. Um, I'm out there. I'm at cons. I'm, I'm doing things. I'm constantly trying to like better my craft. But I still honestly feel, and I think a lot of writers, every writer I talk to sometimes still feels like that. They're like, dude, I'm, I'm just a dirt. I'm just a, I'm just a nerd at home behind my keyboard. Like, you know, typing away. Imposter like, syndrome, baby. You know, right. It's a thing. Imposter syndrome. And, um, but I think that that kind of thing could be a lot of fun to do with people because you get to then, rising tides raise all ships, right? You know, find your author groups, find your friends, like work together. Like we're all in the same space that we love getting lost in our brains. And freaking have fun with that. Like, that's okay. Look at you giving sagely advice in that little wisp of time. Mark, I haven't allowed you to ask a question. Do you want to ask? I, you so, so, Rick, 
I, I guess Chicago was home for you. Yes. Uh, is okay, that, so stop that, okay. trying to send stalkers to his house. No, no, I was just going to say, because uh, I just find it so funny, because so many urban fantasies have been set there recently. I mean, so many series are set there. I mean, of course, Dresden Files leaps to mind, even though uh, um, Jim's never actually I know, you I know. Know, visited uh, Chicago. Trust me, I get this a lot at cons. People will yeah. walk up to me and they'll be like, oh, your urban fantasy is set in Chicago. And they'll like read, they'll, they'll, they'll like leave, a, uh, they'll leave and they'll come back and they'll be like, oh, you actually live in Chicago. Um, <laughs> and uh, like, you know, it was, it was because I actually have like the street names and the places there. Uh, actually, the reason I started writing uh, entirely is by day I'm an electrician, right? I'm an electrician here in Chicago. I'm a union electrician, 134. And I was <laughs> demolishing uh, the Chicago Board of Trade. And uh, in the process of doing this, I found a symbol that I actually have tattooed right here on my chest. Uh, and we were demolishing this board of trade. Now it was in the vice president's office and I, I backed off of this uh, painting and there was this weird arcane symbol baked into the concrete with a golden plaque underneath it the vice president had put there. And it said, a man's only worth is how much wealth he can generate. And that was a creepy statement. Yeah. And especially considering where it was. And we were finding uh, all of these like hermetic symbols and weird things baked into the concrete and around. Did you summon a demon during this process? <laughs> I did not. My hippie foreman was like, <laughs> freaked the fuck out though. And he was like, this is like a weird cathedral of money. He was like yeah. nervous. Cause he was like, he's a total 1960s hippie, man. He, yeah. He, this was like everything he stood for and protested against. He was like, oh my God, we're in the devil's lair. And I took a snapshot of the, the symbol and I found out that it was the official alchemy guild symbol from uh, 1863. And the actual slogan that it said in Latin on it basically represented finding gold in the center of your soul. And that kind of stuck with me for a while. And I had a lot of horrifying encounters. I've opened up doors underneath Englewood in Chicago and had a swarm of cockroaches uh, wash over my legs. There's a plague demon in my first book um, and a sewer encounter that seems very familiar to that story. And that's like, well, because I like had something very similar happen to me and I was like, okay, this is what I felt like. And you know, I have an overactive imagination. So when I'm walking through the bowels of O'Hare Airport underground in these crazy mile long tunnels with the dripping sounds of, uh, you know, uh, like acid leaking from a pipe and, uh, you know, like the lights are flickering and it's, it's just the, the settings and the scenes that you can see when you are a tradesman uh, watching the back of house world of what makes infrastructure work to put a shadowy spin on it uh really gave me uh a lot of enjoyment in my work because then i was going to work doing my job but like i was quiet i was listening to my music just bending pipe doing my thing and but like i'm actually sitting there like envisioning entire you know scenarios and scenes happening about the the, the city and the politics the aldermen the the different people there and I made a, I made a, I made a rule to myself as a writer. I would never write in a city that I would have never walked around at three o'clock in the morning uh, alone, uh, just to see what it's like when in downtown Chicago you could stand at three a.m. right in the heart of it, and there's nobody fucking around. 
and it is quiet and it is creepy and it is a ghost town. And that feeling where you are basically the God of that world in that one particular moment, like there are, you know, I obviously other service people, there are people that are around people that also have late night jobs working in, in places like that, but nobody ever notices them. Every, we all, everybody forgets who those people like are, unless you are those people or directly know them. And the stories that people have are fucking awesome. So being in Chicago, you know, it's like, oh, Rick, would you ever give up your 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 job as a, an electrician? And I'm like, fuck no. Um, like, first off, that allows me to pay the bills so I can actually do the writing thing for like, you know, enjoyment. Uh, and then also be um, the amount of stuff that I see. I mean, I got like tattoos of like Tesla coils and weird arcane symbols all over me now and stuff like that because as I find- Are stuff, you not going to show us the tattoo of the weird fucking oh. arcane symbol? <laughs> That's this one right there here. There it is. There we go. Because guess what? Watch our YouTube channel to see that. I'm like, he's like weird arcade channel the whole time. I'm like, how do I say? Show me the fucking weird arcade. Yep. <laughs> right here. Um, when I signed my books, actually, I have a stamp that I, I took and I made a stamp of that thing. Awesome. Um, you uh, sign your books with a stamp? I, I, I actually, I usually write something like, you know, uh, enjoy the end of the world, bring tacos. And then I like stamp it and like sign it, uh, you know, after, but I always, I have a, a stamp with, uh, this symbol that I custom made. Um, on okay. It I, I got a question. Yep. I need your, cause you're a gamer. Having been a female gamer since before, like I try to tell this, like my daughter is in, you know, all my kids are nerds. I have a boy and a girl, but trying to tell modern day nerds what it was like to be a female gamer nerd like that wasn't a thing like we were an elusive thought about dreamy kind of Unicorn. situation what <laughs> unicorns like we talked yeah. about earlier <laughs> yes exactly so you know when you have your fan experiences, what is the weirdest fan experience you've ever had? Because you're a gamer, so besides people showing up going, hey, do you want to play in the world we created based on your world? What is your weirdest fucking gamer experience? Uh, my weirdest I mean, weirdest author experience. Weirdest I'm author drunk, experience was when, um, was when some people thought that uh, by playing in my game, uh, no matter what tabletop game I was running for them, meant that their characters were then going to be taken and put into a novel series. And they got really mad at me for this thought. Um, and I was like, that's not how it works at all. Um, but uh, also, at, um, I guess another one would be at a con. Um, this was at Con Alt-Delete in Chicago at the end of the year. It's around December. And there was this... All right, you know, full disclosure, I am a union electrician. If that doesn't say uh, a lot. You mentioned your union in uh, the time you said your union. You're right, good. Right. Yeah, like if that doesn't say where I'm at in things, that's, you know, that, that that's pretty clear. But um, this guy had shown up at my booth with a live stream, like, cam. And he was like, oh, here we talking about the Illuminati and the Masons and conspiracies. And he starts getting into this, like, do you know that like the porn companies control uh, and are like thought like deep thinking uh, the, the government state and things like that. And he's trying to like, he's actually going, trying to get me 
and on a live stream to go to like, what do you think about the idea of, you know, the, uh, you know, women being allowed to play games and, and he goes into this crazy, crazy tirade of like, you know, how, uh, you know, how modern day feminism and, and all of these things are, are, are like toxic cancers. And like, I know he's fucking trolling me, but he thinks I'm an ally of the cause because I'm freaking like there, like talking about the Illuminati, uh, like with my book. And I'm like, do you not see the thousand, do you not see the giant fuck Nazis patch on my coat? Like, look, if my coat is not like a giant billboard of where I stand on things, what the fuck, dude? Um, and that wow. was I had never been, I had never run into a live stream counter where I know he's like, he's holding the camera up on like a freaking selfie stick. And he's like, you know, he's like talking to me and whatnot. And I ended up finding out that video channel later. I went and I was like, all right, what the hell? And I'm reaching, I'm reading the comments. And I was like, they had plenty of colorful language for me in their comment section. And, uh, I was like, I don't even know what half these terms are. I'm going to have to go fucking check this shit out. Um, but I was like, fuck it. Yes. Because some of the other authors, um, there's this author collaborative called, uh, words after dark. And uh, they were a table or two down from me. And, and uh, uh, Mouse, uh, they are uh, uh, an amazing group of, uh, Mouse is one of them, but uh, they, they, are, they are awesome at what they create and their products. They came over and were like, we're gonna help rescue Rick from this scenario. Because <laughs> they saw this going down. And you know, this guy would never go over to their table you know, with all yeah. of the, you know, flags and, and things like that. He would never walk over to them. And they came over and were like, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna offer you sanctuary over here. That was the most unprepared con moment I think I had ever run into. Um, wow. I mean, obviously, I think, I think every writer gets the, you know, somebody wants to come and they walk up to you and say, hey, I want to be a writer too. Um, you know, and I'm like, awesome, cool, start writing. You know, like, right, that's, that's the reason they'll talk about the book or they want you to like beta read it or they'll want you to do stuff, you know, for that. And it's pretty, I've gotten good about putting up those boundaries of saying, when you finish, you've got a dev editor and you've already, you know, reached this point. Sure, gladly, I'll beta read it. I'll, I'll do a blurb, no problem, you know, have at it. But um, I just want to say, Rick, you just literally said on our podcast that if you get to a certain point, you'll beta read. I just want to put a disclaimer <laughs> on people listening. That fucking breaks. That is not necessarily the case. Yes. But apparently, Rick would like to debate feminism with you at his booth at any particular comic. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> ouch! <laughs> All right, I'm gonna need another of this. Um, and the pros and cons of unions. So it'll be great. Um, He'll be yeah, glad exactly. to talk to you about that. Oh God, what was it? One of my friends read my book and came to me and said, Rick, are you secretly trying to indoctrinate us into union principles? And I'm like, I didn't <laughs> think it was secret at all. Um. <laughs> oh my God, that's fucking amazing. I think it's interesting because when you reach a certain level of fan, so Mark, I don't, I don't know how much you know about Mark, but Mark writes, I'm going to totally, I'm drunk, Mark. So please, it's all good. as I say this, is Mark writes, 
about real life. Like he takes a legend that occurred and writes about what it really meant, by the way, which is scarier than anything either of us will ever fucking write on the planet. Oh yeah, that stuff is fucking nuts. That's, I love yeah. that stuff. Yeah. And some yeah, of that so is just terrifying. You're on your third book right now, right? You're about to do We're your gonna, fourth. Fourth's on the way, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Finally out of Florida. We're doing Erie Appalachia next. Yeah, so it's interesting because talking to Mark, because I'm a horror writer and I write erotica, but I write horror. And so I write some scary ass fucking shit because none of my stories have a happy ending. But then I listen to Mark and I'm like, nothing I say is even remotely terrifying in comparison to your stuff. <laughs> but when you're talking about um, dealing with fans and stuff, I think it's interesting when you get put as an author in these situations because I think that people build up an image of what they think of you in their mind, what they think you are, what part of you they think they can have. And then you go, this is fucking creepy as fuck when this is happening. Yeah. yeah right. Was, Weird. Was, was, I'm big with the tinfoil hat crowd. So, you know, that's, I do a lot of the paranormal cons and stuff like that, mm -hmm. as well as the comic cons and stuff. We stand out at the comic cons because we, you know, we're not just like the hundred other comic guys and, and no, fantasy right. that's, writers that's, actually why I, that's why I go to comic cons and yeah. anime cons because it turns out a lot of anime fans really enjoy things about the end of the world and magic. Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's what I say. Your book fits perfect. You know, like stands out enough where it's not just oh my gosh, this is the same thing that you know these hundred booths with you know sparkly vampires. Continue on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, but, I, have a, I, have a, I have an editor story about sparkly vampires. Oh, nice, nice. No, we had, uh, but anyway, yeah, with these cons, we'll get these, I'll, I'll get the, the fans who come up and go, oh, okay, so you know the secret, you know, the reptilians and, and this and then all that, and then, you know, and the government conspiracies and all that, and I'm like, okay, all right, this is not what I normally write about, but I'm willing to listen to your story, because that's what I love, hearing these stories and figuring out where these things are, and then you get those, the ones that just have to tell you this is so important that you need to know this and that you know you have to share the word because no one listens to them and then you're sitting there going oh god you know what have i what have i un unleashed upon myself and nine times out of ten it's you know it's harmless and it's kind of cool but then there's the ones that just will stay right there all day and chase away all your other potential. oh my god yes uh that is that is a thing where somebody like i have had that where somebody's like okay i'm gonna sit here and i'm gonna talk to you about yep. this thing for um and 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 that's like because you had asked this question about uh, starting off as being a female gamer uh and and a female in this space um the thing that you know i don't have you know you have a probably a litany of different experiences uh that i will ever have i think but mark and i we both have one similar experience that we will get because we are generally seen as approachable and 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 talkable we will get somebody that will come and just unleash their uh inner mind monologue upon us for hours upon end and it's like you are trying to be polite you're trying to be nice and it's like listen i am working yeah i am i am here behind the table i am i am working um you haven't actually even bought my book yet yes that's the worst part uh, like like <laughs> Come on, man! Like, you like you don't even actually know what I write about yet. Yep. Um, like, you haven't even read it. Um, you know, because I mean, like, yeah, I have fans and I have friends that will come by my table and they'll be like, "Hey, Rick, you got book two out now?" Yeah, and I'm like, "No," and they'll be like, "Fuck you!" And they'll like, like walk, like, 
like down and they're joking with me right but it's it's legit it's fun like it's 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 have at it um but that's that's one thing that that we i i know and i've talked to other uh writers um and i've talked to other artists even uh and that is one thing i know that uh we get is is the oh you're somebody like me so we can have this conversation uh and they just go without really understanding that we're we're not we're doing a whole different thing and you don't even know what we do you haven't read anything that we've we've written okay so i need before we wrap up this podcast i'm going to need two things from you one of them is your vampire story and one of them is your advice to authors but i need to start with your sparkly vampire story okay so I, I mentioned publisher horror story at the start. When I yes. won the, when I won the contest, uh, I, I got put with uh, the, a, a developmental editor, and I, my book had already been dev edited and copy edited. I was actually going to send it to agents, but I entered this contest and I won instead. Um, it is important if you're a writer and you listen to this, and I think you guys will all say this: don't get matched with dev editors who don't know your genre. And Oh my God. Yeah. This dev editor, my book features vampires. You are what you eat. So if you eat a certain kind of demon, you become an undead. And, uh, my vampires in the story, uh, burn horribly in the sunlight. They, you know, turn to ash, uh, you know, stakes through the heart, you know, gleefully incapacitate them. You know, you were going back to, you know, cut off the head, turn it sideways, nail it in a coffin, throw it with rosemary and put it in a goddamn Bram room. Stoker would be uh, proud of everything uh, you're saying right now. Uh, you know, and so the development editor came back to me, though, and this was a, a different guy who writes military uh, fiction. And he came back and he was like, Rick, I just don't get your book. Um, he's like, you need to explain. He's like, why is a vampire... Uh, why is a vampire bothered by a stake in the heart? And I'm like, listen, dude, I'm not going to explain in this book for urban fantasy fans why a vampire would be bothered by a stake in the heart. And then he's like, um, it feels like your main protagonist of this tale is missing half of this, uh, half of the storyline, and you have to keep shifting to other characters because he's asleep during the daytime. Well, yeah, he's a vampire. And he's like, no. I'm going to submit to the, the publishing house that you need to change this because there are other popular books where vampires walk in the daytime. And I'm like, you are not the dev editor for me. Uh, he wanted to turn my book into a, from a uh, multi-character perspective conspiracy tale that is happening about this event to a diehard action series where you had Mike Auburn <laughs> at the bottom of Willis Tower versus like this, uh, you know, this arch villain at the top. And it was like Willis Tower diehard uh, action scene. And I was like, a, a three act story rather than a, um, here are four characters in two cities and what's happening um, and how they coalesce together. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I've already gone through these. Like I won the contest based off this idea. People have read the manuscript already. They already know. That's when you gotta go. Yeah, I'm gonna hard pass on what you're saying right now. Yeah, Please and I, 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 I did. And then the publisher had no choice but to hook me up with Girl Friday Productions. Uh, a, a girl named Emily was my dev editor and she was fucking awesome because she's actually read other urban fantasy books Yay. and she read my book and was like, Oh my God, I fucking love this. Here's how to make it stronger. Uh, and cut out this shit and put this stuff in. And I was like, Oh my God, that's a great idea. You know? And that's what dev editors do. Um, but that's yeah. good. 
Deb Good Instead of going, you know what? I think your vampire should sparkle. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I am never, ever. My vampires will always burn in the, uh, the sunlight. Yeah. Fuck that shit. Awesome. Hard pass. Okay. Right so I need, because we have to wrap up this part of the podcast. What is your advice to young authors out there? Uh, finish. I mean, uh, you will say that time and time again, but finish. Uh, nobody can help you. Nobody can offer advice. Nobody can do anything um, until you finish a basic freaking manuscript. Um, once you get to that point, then people can help you. Um, uh, also, uh, my my other one is finding other mediums to help get your career uh, started and find other ways. Like think about it like a business. Right. If you you can't just expect that you're going to write a few novels and go off and and do it, go ahead and start blog writing, do freelance writing, go work on an RPG game, go hire yourself out to be a, you know, like apply to like video game companies to do like dialogue and narrative text. Um, find there is so much uh, need, especially in a digital age with copy and content being need to be written. Um, find yourself a side gig where you are doing this because honestly writing for geek and sundry for me and doing articles on you know why final fantasy 7 is awesome um actually helped strengthen my ability to create pitch lines and copy lines and write down uh very tight uh you know commercial-esque prose um which became very useful as a novelist when i need to go then sell at a con here's my book i got one sentence to sell it to you in so Gotta love the elevator pitch. I'm not even gonna say that enough. Like you have to have a motherfucking elevator pitch nailed down. Okay, so Rick, shameless self-promotion. How do people find you? I am Cranky Bolt uh, everywhere. So on Twitter, I am at Cranky Bolt. Um, on Facebook, I am you know Facebook.com/slash Cranky Bolt. Uh, on Discord, I am. Um, uh, I don't have the numbers. But if you ask me on Twitter, I will tell you my numbers for Discord. <laughs> but you can find me, uh, Cranky Bolt, on every social media. You can. Did find, you do Cranky uh, Bolt because you're an electrician? Yes. Um, and uh, you know, I I played a steam golem in a game called City of Heroes for many years, and my Yay! was uh, okay. Was I'm not gonna lie. Paragon we City rules. Hold ourselves as characters in. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, Paragon City all the way. I loved City yep. Heroes. Um, that's where I, I, I was like, oh, I'm, I, I am Cranky Bolt. That is my internet persona handle. Um, because I, that was my character because, I mean, it fit as an electrician uh, to, to do this. But you can find the 7th Age series uh, on Amazon, Prince of Cats Publishing, uh, you know, book two will be coming out later this year. The Red Opera, Last Days of the Warlock, uh, just finished its Kickstarter. We raised over $160,000. Um, it was incredibly successful. If you are a gamer and really want an immersive multiple choice ending, that's there. Um, you can add me on Facebook, Twitter, Discord. Um, and secretly, I am kind of lost into the world of Genshin Impact at the moment. Uh, it's my first experience with a gotcha game, but you can find me there as well at cranky bolt obviously rick is unapproachable to people as you can tell from what he just <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> uh, i play league of legends if you want to play lol with me great fucking uh, send me a friend's request uh okay like, so so um mark 
as yeah. you're fanboying me, do you have any final questions before we stop this part of the podcast? No, I'll 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 hit them up in literary briefs that they can follow soon. So Okay. Rick, you have been fucking amazing. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. This was a blast. I would do this anytime. And yes, we are clearly gonna have to game together. No, we're gaming um, together. That is a foregone conclusion, and dude, then we're gonna there, fucking post it on there is this game bag ready. We, we, we should no 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 we won't need dice because the game that I need to run for you as a horror writer is a game called Ten Candles. Oh man. Uh and we will run we will have to stream it and run a game of Ten Candles, uh, where every time a scene ends, you blow out a candle as one hour of your life yeah. ticks away until the end. And then you hauntingly play the recording that you all made at the start of the game session. And it is a beautiful one shot. And I've been looking for an excuse of people to do it. So if you can get some other writers who are in the horror genre to get together, uh, I will gladly run a game of 10 candles because that is I... fucking happening. And yes, we're going <laughs> to stream it. And that is going to fucking happen. It marks in. I will grab yep. a couple other people done. Yeah, I we'll love... get Al back on and a couple others. That'll be great. I, we'll get I Al Dragon back. We'll get fucking Jonathan Mayberry. We yeah. will. You will be like, oh my god, with your fucking host and people. Jackie, Jackie Sonnenberg. We'll get everybody. That'll yes. Oh, yes. So yes. Oh. Uh, but ten candles. That's what we can play on screen. That's awesome. Weird apocalyptic twenty twenty. I fucking love everything about them. Okay, so this has been drinking with authors. I've been Erica Lance. I've been Mark Muncy from Erie, Florida. And our guests have been kind, and we'll see you next time. Bye.